another episode of People, Place, and Purpose, the show where we hear stories from business owners, creators, and entrepreneurs about how they got started, what they love most, what challenges them, where they've had to pivot, learn, change, how relationships and networking have helped along the way, and ultimately, how they turn their passion into a successful venture and are living a life they love. I'm your host, Kate Lusko. I love to travel, eat delicious food, and meet and get to know cool people. And I'm so glad you're here today. Let's jump in. Corrine Million is the proud daughter of Haitian immigrants and thus a first-generation American, now calling Cumming, Georgia home. After serving in the United States Air Force, Corrine worked for Pat Summit and the University of Tennessee women's basketball team, ESPN, and eventually co-founded and led the nonprofit, the Winning Edge Leadership Academy. Now she's forging her own trail in the for-profit space with her company Work, partnering with organizations to increase diversity and inclusion within the workforce and advance professional leadership opportunities for the underrepresented. She's a dedicated dog mom, has vibrant and contagious energy, and it sounds like she's a force on the golf course. With that, let's get to today's episode. Welcome, Corrine. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Oh my gosh, Kate, I've been so excited to have this conversation. I just hope I can keep the momentum going on this incredible platform that you've created. I appreciate that. Thank you. And for full disclosure to the audience, this is sort of take two. We had planned to record a little while ago and then ran into thunderstorms, which, you know, you don't really think about. I think at least I know I take for granted internet connectivity and having power and those things that really are crucial to something like a podcast. So I'm glad that the thunderstorms have calmed so that we're able to meet today. Yes, because we would have been interrupted at least twice. So <laughs> oh, goodness. That. Yeah. So I always love people to start off with a little bit of background about you as a person. So before we get to what it is that you're actually doing, talk about where you grew up, if there was something you wanted to be when you were a kid, jobs that you had, what that sort of path looked like up until starting this. Yeah, I am a proud first-generation American. Both my parents are from Haiti. And most first-generation kids could tell you, like, it's the age-old thing, like, doctor, lawyer, uh, Uh architect, like, something professional degree that people could talk about and brag about you. And so that's what I thought I was going to do, okay, maybe, because that's what, you know. But I didn't know. I just knew I had to make money. That's what my parents came to this country to do. And I have been fortunate to be exposed to a lot of different people doing some awesome things so and a very supportive mother that allowed me to experience a lot of opportunities but born in Miami grew up south of Atlanta so I call Atlanta home but I definitely don't live in Atlanta now I live in Cumming Georgia but I've been all over lived in Germany and a couple other cities um, in the states and looking forward to calling home somewhere soon but I think all of that really just lends to me being a chameleon and being able to really step into any environment and build relationships because not too many people look like me went to school in Bemidji, Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) And you were in the Air Force, right? Yes. Spent two years in Germany before going to the Air Force Academy. And I'll tell you, being 18 in Europe is pretty awesome. And this was before Facebook. So I had Vonage. That's how I call, or I had to go to the payphone. But yes, serving my country definitely um, laid the foundation for the hard work that I put into my business now. And played sports along the way? 
Yes, sports was not a real thing. Nowhere in the Bible did it say Jesus plays. My mom was like, I don't understand if this is something that you want to do. But in high school, I played softball and golf, which people are usually surprised about. They're like, look at this physique. You played basketball or ran track. And I'm like, actually, I never was um, behaviorally okay to play basketball. Whenever time tryouts came up, I was in trouble. So no, you can't do that. <laughs> And um, I just really enjoy golf. I've been able to play around the world and have awesome conversations with people on the golf course. So that is my game. I love it. Um, I want to play more of it. And I need more people to play with me. So I'm looking forward to now putting that into the universe. So if you ever want to spend time with Kareen and you listen to this podcast, invite me to play golf. I'm there. How about mini golf? Does that does that fall into the category? <laughs> yes, and I'm very competitive, and I'm very okay. good. My short game is great, so yep. I'm not gonna be the person that you play with. That it takes eight strokes to get to the hole. It's gonna be like two, three. We're out. <laughs> We're doing it. I'm not a golfer, but I would imagine it would be beneficial to the actual game of golf to play mini golf. Yes, yeah. and yes, that's what we'll tell ourselves. <laughs> and so, what about Haiti? Have you been back there? Well, I haven't, the last time I went to Haiti probably was before the earthquake. But when I was younger, my mom, that was my summer camp. She didn't trust Americans mm. to watch me when I was little. So it was get on the plane at the beginning of the summer. I'll be here at the end to pick you up. And which is not all that great because they have school longer. And my grandmother was a headmaster at a school. So I was in school and considered the snitch at the same time. So, but I love it. It's been a big part of actually the start of wanting to use sport as a vehicle for change. Um, but I, I do go to Dominican Republic. We have family there and she's one of seven. So, and my dad is one of five. Wow. So we have a big family. Yeah. Yeah, I just went to the Dominican Republic for the first time in December to teach yoga. And I mean, certainly gorgeous, but did not venture over to Haiti. But I would imagine equally as gorgeous. And how cool to sort of grow up in two countries relatively simultaneously if you were going back and forth that often. It's cool now. It was not cool then. <laughs> right. Um, but now I try to bring my friends. I've invited friends to the Dominican Republic with me to see what it is from not a tourist standpoint. But like, mm -hmm. here's a family inviting you to their home. They're going to spoil you and take you to the beach and we're going to do family things. But it's pretty exotic. Um, so I try to encourage my friends to come along with me. Yeah, that's really great. And I think that's true of so many things, right? That things you didn't appreciate as a kid. Now it's like, oh, I'm so glad that my parents had me do whatever it was that was terrible at the time. Yes. So after you left the Air Force, what did your career path look like prior to starting your own thing? Saying yes a lot. Uh -huh. uh, I had a lot of people expose me to opportunities. So after leaving the Air Force, one of my teammates was coaching at Bemidji State and she said, hey, you want to come up here and help me out? I said, sure. I actually don't have anything else going on. I have some VA benefits. And that's where I really got my first taste into sport as a business. I was working, if you know anything about Division Two sports, everybody does everything. It's like the baseball coach is also the events coordinator, is also the concession stand worker, all these things. So I was the student worker from women's basketball doing video. Mm -hmm. And then I was also a student worker in media relations. And I was also a student worker in events in the second coldest city of America. 
<laughs> and I part of my responsibilities was men's and women's hockey, which is a very big deal in Bemidji. And I never been to a hockey match in my entire life up until this point. Oh no, I'm lying. I'm lying. At Air Force, I had a lot of friends on the hockey team because they're fun. So yes, I have been to hockey. <laughs> um, but I never, I never did any media with the hockey. And uh, I was in. I launched the YouTube channel for Bemidji State Men's and Women's Hockey, mm. and I'm interviewing these players with no teeth, talking about a game I don't really understand. But it really, that's what I thought sports okay it's a pretty cool career i want to do this so that was the media side and i was good at it and i enjoyed talking to people but the coaching and the um engaging with people on a personal level was really where i found joy um and ended up working as a graduate assistant for past summit at tennessee and i don't even still to this day understand how i got from bemidji to knoxville because I was not on many people's radar, but I was on the radar of the right people. Um, and when the opportunity came up, I was someone they thought about. And spending two years in a place uh, with someone who really changed the game of women's basketball and how women were viewed in sports and as a whole, we have our own brand, right? The Lady Vols. That's, I remember hearing about Lady Vols and their reach like all the way to Russia, you would see one of those dolls, the nesting yeah. dolls that had the coaching staff at Tennessee. And it's like all the way in Russia, that's when I knew sports. That's what I really, really understood sports was a thing. So coaching was not the thing. And I ended up at ESPN. So it's been a worldwide journey, but I ended up doing all the things I needed to do at the right time. That's pretty amazing. What an opportunity. And I love, you know, that it just sort of right place, right time, right people, right connections to be able to do that. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I Maybe I need to start saying maybe and less yes um, <laughs> so I can slow down. I think that's what's been happening. I'm like, let me get back to you. Let me get back to you. It's definitely a skill. I was talking with someone else in an interview about how, you know, being more strategic, it's hard, especially when you're first starting out, right? You sort of want to, you don't want to let anyone down and you want to be in as many places and get the exposure and all of those pieces. But it's nice when there comes a point where you can be a little more selective and leave some space for things that you want to ask the question and not necessarily just answer the question. Yes, yes, I'm getting better at it. So you went from ESPN to working, continuing to work in sports, but you had another stop before you decided you wanted to be an entrepreneur, which I'm very curious about that decision. But take us through the rest of that pathway. Yeah, working at ESPN, again, sports was not a big thing in my family. And I was kind of thrust into a space where almost everybody I worked with, this was their dream. They woke up every Saturday morning and watched college game day with their dad. They can tell you their favorite moment of watching some sporting event on ESPN. I did not have cable. I don't know how people watch 24 seven sports, but I worked in the events department, which is unique in a sense of most people don't think of ESPN owning actual programming. So at the time, uh, ESPN owned 41 properties. So college basketball games, football games, college football award show, college basketball award show. And we did everything but play and coach in the game. So selling sponsorships, selling tickets, getting the teams there, the game day presentation, the signage, everything huh. you could think of for a game 
that was our team. And I had a blast. I'm a basketball junkie. I love to watch the game. I'm not a football. It's soccer. So I don't understand this thing. But anyways, um, <laughs> but I got a chance to do some amazing things. As a veteran, I got a chance to work with Armed Forces Classic. We build a basketball stadium inside of a hangar on a Coast Guard base in Puerto Rico while they're still doing missions. So, like, we are putting in the bleachers, and here's a helicopter just come out from the wow. ocean, bringing someone in, right? And having a blast, and I'm, like, running into all these amazing people, and they're, like, all the same people, the same background, kind of. They went to the same schools. They are kind of doing the, you know. Um, and on the other end of that, I was an adjunct professor in the Charlotte area. So I was teaching at a HBCU, Johnson C. Smith, Golden Bulls, shout out, um, <laughs> Queens University and Johnson and Wales. And I noticed um, a lot of the students, especially seniors, they were graduating with this board management degree. Um, and they were really four years behind a lot of the kids that I knew when I was at Tennessee that had been working at, in the athletic department since they were freshmen. So this, the odds were already stacked against some of my students and I wanted to do something about it. I'm pretty charming. And I was like, okay, relationships usually can uh, lead to great things. So how can I use my charm? And at the time, my my business partner, Maria Taylor, she was, she was just getting started out at SEC Network. And she also had very similar experience. She was a two times uh, athlete at um, Georgia. And she had great mentors and people who put her in the right position at the right time and all of that. And, but she also knew our privilege. She understand that like, we are not here. These people didn't do that. So we wanted to be able to create more of those opportunities. And in 2015, we started the Winning Edge Leadership Academy. It's a nonprofit, and we really just tried to connect minority student athletes with opportunities in the industry. And it was fantastic. Some of the things, we didn't know what we were doing, actually. We didn't know nothing. We are like, okay, let's get this nonprofit for dummies at Barnes & Noble. <laughs> this is like crying in her apartment at 2 a.m. because she just got off air doing SEC baseball that was rained out for two hours. And now we're coming to do this chart our bylaws and we're mm. crying and cussing each other out and doing all these things. But um, we did it and it's been so impactful in, in the industry that I wanted to do it full time. I was still loving ESPN and loving all the games and the relationships, but I really wanted to dedicate my energy. I have a lot of energy. I'm pretty high energy. Um, and I'm like, I want to put this towards this. And I can't believe my mom even opened the door, but uh, she let me come home um, to really dive into a nonprofit and, and creating more of those opportunities. And it was fantastic. It was great, but Instagram likes don't pay bills. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of experience and education all the things i was supposed to do my mom and dad <laughs> came to this country that i started to see things differently and people started to challenge me a little differently i'm somebody that pours from an empty cup someone i would give every meal i have i'm sharing i'm offering the last bite to someone right like i'm that person and people are like kareen you need to eat too and it's something I preach a lot, like we can all eat, but I was feeding everybody else and starving myself. And in the last several several years, the work and the energy that I put towards the work has been something that has been much desired 
in the industry and people were like you got to take it take the opportunity and see the um the opportunities that are in front of you that you're like dismissing almost because you're not for profit or whatever i'm like you're right you're right so here i am listening to all those people finally (laughs) (laughs) And, and taking my talents to create opportunities but to make a living so fascinating. And so, I mean, you really embarked on the entrepreneurial journey in the nonprofit space, but the way you talk about it, not that it sounds easy, but it sounds like, I mean, other than figuring out the pieces, was it scary to sort of take that leap? Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. For, first of all, we already established I say yes to everything. So risks are always included when you do that. Sure. And... Yeah, I mean, it's, you're you're running a business at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Your taxes are just different, right? Like, and maybe people think they can give you less money because you're a nonprofit, right? <laughs> but it's the same, right? Like, I'm having to lead a team to do our programming. I'm having to create a business model so we can get revenue. And to, like, almost set that aside to put energy into creating now and it's very similar to what what I do now is very very similar to what the winning edge was doing it just serves a wider population mm-hmm. um to almost feel like I'm turning my back on the winning edge was was more scary than like anything cuz it's tied so much to who I am how people see me in the space what people associate with me and I'm like if I'm not that am I a failure even if I I'm doing something great if I'm not tied to the winning edge, who am I? And so that was the scariest part to really overcome. Yeah, that sort of identity piece. Very yes. interesting. And I was thinking when you were talking about, you know, the nonprofit world, as a former nonprofit leader, one of the hardest parts is a board, right? The dynamic between running an organization and having a board is just tricky. It, it's very different than when it's your business and you get to make the decisions and are sort of in charge of all those pieces, good and bad, right? And then you're sort of more on your own too. So this is relatively recent that you launched work. Yes, it feels like yesterday, but I know it, it, it may be the paperwork and the website launched, it feels like yesterday, but the what we have been doing has been going on for years and it's just has different branding, stronger messaging and appeals to a wider audience now. Right. So you're not just targeting students or you're not just working with students. Yeah. Which is nice because they're a little much sometimes. I love them. They need us. <laughs> they're the future, <laughs> but they like to ghost and I can't handle being ghosted uh-huh. all the time. <laughs> a word so. that never existed, right? Like what did we what did we say before? We didn't yeah. do it. We oh, yeah. just did it. No, I'm saying I don't want to sound like a whatever insert some something here. But yeah, really looking at the the uh, our job seekers in the industry who just have been historically underrepresented in traditional in traditional hiring practices, and a lot of times we are. Well, we often hear from employers that we can't find diverse talent because everybody needs to have a response now to their organization being inclusive mm-hmm. and diverse. So the response is, we're trying, we can't find them. That's that's the response. And then you hear from talent sometimes, oh, I can't find the job. I didn't know that job was something I could do or was attainable to me. And so we've been saying these things for so long and there are small connections that are happening to solve this problem because it is a two-sided 
problem, but there's still some dysfunction. There's still some breaks in those connections. And I'm a pretty good connector, I'd like to think. And I, I'm intentional about how I move and the messages that I send and how I put myself out there to be someone who values relationships and the ability to, you don't have to build a school in Africa to make a change, to make a big difference. Sometimes you could just send an email, right? Yeah. Like, an email from you with your signature to this person about another person could be the reason that a person gets a job, right? And it happens a lot in a lot of other communities for each other and really making sure how can I accelerate those connections, make those connections uh, with less obstacles and make it as easy as it could be to create opportunities. And so it certainly has become much more of a prominent topic in companies, on boards, in nonprofit organizations, and whatever it might be. So what are these organizations, like, not what they're doing wrong, but like, what is the challenge? Why is this not just sort of an easy, like, sure, there's people and there's jobs. Like, why is it not an easier fit? I think it's because people put way too much pressure on themselves. Hmm. It's something that it has to be this glamorous, Oprah needs to be invited to it to make <laughs> it credible type of impact. And people are just comfortable. People like to be comfortable. I'm a comfortable person. This is probably way more comfortable than most non, uh, uh, most entrepreneurs. No, I am an entrepreneur like Mark Zuckerberg. He wears the same shirt and pants <laughs> every day. <laughs> that's what I was, that's my jam too. But um, I try to keep things simple. And so people, for example, internships, people look at internships the same way. But we also know that internships are not always paying or provide compensation that is enough to cover someone moving or doing this job at, for free, right? If you are getting the uncle of the CEO, if you're getting the son of the CEO's brother, whose dad is already making a lot of money and who can pay for his rent to take the job while he's doing the internship in New York, you try to take that same model and now say, we're going to tap into a talent community we've never really engaged with, we've never really spent time understanding. We're going to take that same model and put it here. And if it doesn't work, it's because we can't find the talent. The talent doesn't work here. The talent doesn't whatever, whatever. When it's like, okay, the internship purpose is to get into the building, get experience, build a network. Does it have to be six months? Does it have to be three months? Does it have to be in the summer? Does it have to be in person? Really asking yourself those questions. Um, and I got it, and I'm very fortunate to have had the opportunity to test some of those out, right? Like challenging an employer to create a micro internship that is a paid opportunity that a student athlete, because they wanted to engage student athletes, but their internships were never aligned with the student athletes academic and athletic uh, schedule so let's create a remote paid micro internship where they're getting the experience and and kind of still checking those boxes that you want checked without inconveniencing the very community that you're trying to help because that is the other thing right like you're almost now inconveniencing and i heard the other day 
I'm getting ready to start a program. And the reason why they chose us to participate was because this company found the people closest to the problem are the people closest to the solution. And so when organizations are looking to create changes, are you giving more money and resources to the people who helped maybe create the problem? Or are you going to new sources to find better solutions to those problems? Such an interesting point. I mean, it seems so obvious on some level and yet brilliant, like just, of course. Of course, of course. It's, it's, it's mind blowing how like the more money, the harder it is to see the simplicity in things sometimes. Cause when you're bootstrapping it, you find all the little creases and crevices <laughs> to make something happen. Right. Well, and certainly, I mean, I remember being back in college and then having students having to choose because I think it's gotten better, but a lot of internships were unpaid. And so choosing between, you know, do you work to make the money to pay your bills or do you get the experience that's going to be valuable? Like, that's an awful choice for a student to have to make, right? Never mind some of these added complications of, you know, are they going home somewhere different for the summer? Do they have to work? Are they playing sports? Like all those other variables. Yeah, so that's just one example of if people really wanted to create the change they wanted to create, they'd probably reduce some of the shenanigans, what I call it, because I I shouldn't cuss as much as I should, um, around the effort they're putting into solving the problem. And so when you sort of look in that crystal ball, like what does success look like for you as a company? What are the things, what is the impact that you want to have to show like this is why I took the risk and started this thing? I mean, the pie in the sky utopia, Maya Angelou answer would be there's total inclusivity at every organization within sports, media, entertainment. That's the ultimate goal. But I think when you look at numbers and metrics, the goal is to as many, if there are 33 teams in the NFL and they're being graded on their racial and gender makeup and they started maybe at and I'm just making up a number. Maybe I should know the number, but please don't sue me no or, judgment. or email me, please. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say the number is 22% diverse makeup of the organization. How can I help that organizations accelerate their diverse makeup? Because it's going to happen, first of all. The diversity, the demographics of our country is shifting, whether it's you like it or not, you think it's happening, Roswell, New Mexico, all these things, it's happening. The people that are in, born in this country are, will look different from the people that were born in this country 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. How can I help the organizations better prepare their organizations for that talent by getting BIPOC underrepresented into their pipeline sooner? and more frequently. So if I'm helping them increase or accelerate that diversity from 22% in year one to maybe 27% in year three, to me that's success because now there are people in the organization that's gonna help with the culture because you can hire as many people, you can bring it, you can fire everybody and bring in all new people. But if the culture of the organization doesn't make people feel make people feel like they belong, you're gonna spend more money retraining people. You're gonna, all, all these other things are gonna happen. So it's a journey for sure, but driving revenue that's what my CEO coach tells me to drive <laughs> revenue. Um, the goal is to see 
most professional teams in North America utilizing work services, right? Like how are we helping those organizations that have a pretty big platform and they're seen all over everywhere, they're heard everywhere, make sure they're reflective of their fans and their and their players. Yeah, that's really great. And so I would imagine sometimes it's maybe not as easy as just saying yes to things because that means that stuff's coming inbound. Like when you're first starting out, business development is a big chunk of any new business. And so certainly yes. I'm sure you have a network from past roles that you've had, but how are you approaching your business development? Are you cold calling or cold emailing? Are you going through, like, how are you finding both the people, but also the opportunities? I'm very consistent. I have been doing what I'm doing for a long time now. So the obstacle really is to get people to change their mind on paying me to do the things that I've already been doing uh. for them. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a whole different thing, but it, that's certainly valuable. Interesting. Right? Yes. And then, or getting those people to now vouch for me in their rooms. And so I spent a lot of time updating because it's still fairly new. Like you said, it's within the year. So spending a lot of time cultivating relationships and giving them the tools to help me succeed. So because they people always ask, what can I do to help you? And people always like, oh, you know, I'm okay. Actually, here are three <laughs> things that you can do for me. Can you make an introduction to your hiring manager? Could you, you know, like now um, being really intentional with how I share what I'm doing now with people. And I'm pretty good at utilizing young talent and so all those college kids that was helping out it's time to bring it back bring it back <laughs> and help me out so i'd love and maybe this is utopia the idea is to create the opportunity for people to franchise in a sense what what work is creating the opportunity they're creating in the local market so if i can build students up to be the business development because they're in they're at Spelman already, or they're at University of Tennessee. They have the connections with the talent. So that's the goal. That's like, probably I shouldn't have even said it because that's probably like five years down the line, but I like to put things out there into the universe because maybe somebody listening could help me do that one day. But a lot of, I don't like cold calling. I don't like, I do care how people think or about me. Like it's a real thing that I'm working on, but I'm really good at finding resources. And so my network has a lot of salespeople in it. And so I tap into them to help me coach young people how to sell for me. Very cool. And you're sort of creating advocates in a lot of ways, right? Like you're yes. creating, even I was thinking about when you were talking about increasing the numbers of people of color in a community, like then in theory, they can sort of start to be advocates too, and maybe don't need that external voice to yes. to push that agenda as much. Yes. I'm, I mean, everything about me is community centered because you can't just come in you it has to be from within too but you have to empower the within and i think when you ask me about haiti um a lot of what i know and what i've been told about haiti's history and stuff kind of laid that foundation and to kind of summarize it when disaster came or comes to Haiti, there's an influx of donations. Here's a ton of rice. Here's a ton of 
things. So now you're crippling the locals from being able to grow their own rice. People mm. can't make money. So it just cycles, but they have so much free rice. They have so much free rice. So now this country will, like, when do when are they able to get back on their own if they can't make money because they it's, the market is already saturated. So instead of just coming in and dumping resources to the community, how can I empower the community to create their own resources um, to create that? People make money off doing that, so I can too. Yeah, there's that whole teach a person to fish thing, right? That whole expression. I was just thinking, and I have no idea what this looks like in the sports world, just because it's not, you know, it's not been my arena. But I know a lot of companies in the last few years have created like diversity officers or someone who internally, in theory, is focusing on this. Does that exist in the world of sports? And are those people in those roles good connections for you? Or are they sort of, in theory, already doing that work? All those connections are great. And just like with most industries, these are new roles in a lot mm. of cases, right? Like this team could be a team that's been around 80 years and they've never really had even a chief people officer before, let alone anything that resembles diversity, belonging, and those things. So a lot of times they're new in their role and I try to be an advocate for them and support them on their journey because sometimes they're coming from outside of sports and they've been doing the work for a long time maybe at a an apparel company or a high fashion company because those usually are more progressive and now they're jumping into this has been the same family has owned this team since the team started everybody here operates the same way with the same culture and so being able to, like I said, support the journey of those the people that are sitting in those positions, but also people who are just hiring. Uh, somebody reached out to me on LinkedIn two years ago. I'm going to call his name out because I think he'll appreciate that I tell this story, Dan Rosenthal. But he was a white guy. He said, I want to help. How can I help? Right. This is what I was doing the nonprofit. And um, he really stuck to his guns on it. He never ended a conversation with how can uh, without saying, how can I help? But those he's at a position where he hire he directly hires somebody he doesn't have to always necessarily go to somebody else because he's gonna the team has to grow and so just now thinking be more intentional with what sources of talent and where are we getting this talent? are we going to the same wells or are we trying to go to other let me make this introduction to kareen to my hr person so maybe we can start this as an organization so Really, anybody that's directly tied to growing a team, building a team, startups, we, we can always afford a full HR person. So you can outsource mm -hmm. some of those resources, knowing that my team is coming in with an inclusive lens from jump. Yeah, that's great. And you have a headshot initiative that I think is amazing. Yeah. Tell us about that. So I'm very big on like not wasting time, being intentional, or giving crap gifts. I'm very big at like when I was at ESPN every event it was like backpack backpack or like the same everybody always it's every year and I'm like if I'm a football player in Alabama I get six backpacks a year I get backpacks from the start of the season I get a backpack from the someone I was coming to speak I get a backpack from the event 
backpack, backpack, backpack. And um, when I started the nonprofit, we could have easily gotten backpacks too to give to our kids. Um, so much creativity like, there, right? <laughs> oh no, they put the, they put a, their, they'll put the team logo on it. They'll they'll go all out to make sure the backpack is unique. <laughs> now, um, but I'm like, what does that kid do? I have I have so many backpacks. Like I gave away so many backpacks, but kids did it. If LinkedIn was becoming the thing and when you, when the kids would talk to you, they were trying to get a job, they really wanted a job and you go on their LinkedIn, they had no picture. It was a picture from a barbecue that they took seven years ago, or as a picture of them in uniform. As I was doing like dinners and different programs with the Winning Edge, I always had a photographer. It was a big part of how we tell our story. We try to capture as much as possible. And I mentioned that we just need to give them a headshot. We just always need to make sure if they're around me, they're getting a headshot. And it was the, the response was always great. People love to take a good picture. Like you don't always get a chance to take a good picture. And if you don't know about the glamour shot days back, you know, when you had to like go to Sears and sit <laughs> on the little spin stool and get some people looking at you. It's a whole thing. People don't have that experience anymore. And it goes back to like, we can't find talent. Well, I'm going to show you 10,000 faces of talent that are out here trying to work and equip those 10,000 people with something that's going to help accelerate their career with a good headshot and i thought i am crazy it is crazy Ten thousand is a lot i just made it the number i just was like ten thousand because i knew a hundred i could do a hundred oh i knew a thousand oh i could do a thousand but ten thousand so (laughs) i and i realized like you did i didn't always have to have a photographer I've been able to provide resources to teach people how to use their phones to take pictures and so I tested it out. I was going to Houston to the Black Student Athlete Summit and my neighbor was a photographer. I texted her, I said, hey, what's your favorite beer? I'm gonna come over, you're gonna show me how to take headshots, professional headshots. We probably gave like an 11 minute lesson and I got on a plane, went to Houston and stood in 100 degree weather on the campus of Rice University, taking uh, professional headshots for over a hundred people and many of them student athletes who had never had a professional headshot of them not in uniform so it's simple hopefully it tells people that uh where the talent is out there while also letting people feel valued and seen in the industry yeah that's amazing and it makes such a big difference when i was teaching college every class i've ever taught the first assignment was always to create a linkedin profile because in the business world you just have to have it a couple times students pushed back on like i didn't like being forced to but and then the profile picture right it didn't require that they have a professional because you're in college and they're expensive and all campuses now do them but there was, I do remember one student one time, I'm pretty sure it was a picture from Halloween where like, you know, she cut her friend out of the, it was, yeah, it was otherwise, you know, yeah. I mean, when you're first starting out, you make do with what you can, but I feel like that's such an amazing, because it is other than when campuses sometimes bring someone in and then, you know, does your schedule work with that? They're expensive. Well, you have an internship where they value it too, right? And usually yeah. the internships are for those that whose parents are paying for their rent to have the intern. So just because, again, it's the cycle. Yeah, that's really great. So interesting. So I'm curious. So we've talked about, I mean, certainly lots of focus on your work, golf, watching basketball. How else do you spend your time? How do you maybe strive towards that work-life balance? I'm a country girl. For sure. I, coming again is not Atlanta, 
Georgia and Atlanta are two different places. Um, <laughs> and I live by Lake Lanier. And so I'm, I go to the lake at least, I try to once a day if I can. So it's right, it's been hot lately and the water, uh, there's no shade, there's no trees. And people think being on water is cool, but the reflection mm. of the sun <laughs> makes it hot. People are like, oh, I'm going to the lake, it's so hot. I'm like, you're going to die. You're going to die. <laughs> but I have a dog, an American dingo. He's passed out right now. And we go paddle boarding. I, spend a, I try to nice. do that and hiking. I spend a lot of time outside. I've been probably the reason I had the, men, the mental space to think about doing a business is I've been restoring a 2002 Jeep Wrangler during the pandemic, and which is very humbling. So I like to do a lot of things with my hands and outside. And I try to either bring, I'm very I'm much about experiences. So I try to bring people into those spaces with me as much as I can, because then people, I'm unforgettable to people because instead of saying, hey, let's grab drinks or hey, let's go to spend $500 at a restaurant, let's go hiking or come with me to this lacrosse game or something like that. That is a little more unique and free. A nonprofit leader, we don't make a lot of money. So I had to, to, I'm on a budget, I'm on a budget, but I have to entertain. So I got really good at entertaining on a budget. But yeah, I try to, and I try to be intentional like I, um, don't take calls before 10 a.m., which is very interesting to some people. I recently set my in inbox twice a day, not my business inbox, because I'm trying to drive revenue, mm -hmm. but my other, like my personal and stuff, I try to check those just twice a day because I'm already not a technology person, but I'm a very much on productivity. So mm -hmm. I utilize the as much things that sync up as, as possible. Well, and I think you told me you don't go on camera. Is it Mondays and Fridays that you sort of... Correct. Yes. Yeah. Which yes. I liked that structure. Like, it, I just think it makes a difference to sort of almost compartmentalize things a little bit. And, I mean, I was somebody that was on the phone a lot. I mean, that collaborated and worked with people all over the place. And you just picked up the phone or you got... You sat in a room with the little speaker box and you called in. That's what we used to do. It wasn't every single thing had to be us looking at each other, me seeing myself, me noticing my mom is going to notice the wrinkles. Like, I don't need to see this five days a week. We don't need to. And and because I'm a, I'm a sustaining member of my NPR and a lot of the stories lately have been about the four-day work week and them trying to roll that out. And I'm like, Americans could never... We could never do a four-hour work week. We can't even understand the concept of siesta. But now, since we're always in front of each other, if I'm able to provide... I get so m much positive reaction when I tell people, I'm just going to call you. Or like when I schedule a meeting with them and like two minutes pass, three minutes pass, I don't hear from them. They're like, I was looking for the Google link and then I noticed it was a phone call and I was so happy. And I was like, <laughs> yes, because not every time we have to meet, because sometimes you, especially a lot, you've been working from home for three years, you got your kids, like you can do, we can multitask sometimes. And I'm usually walking my dog on calls. So I love it. <laughs> when I was in college, I lived in Italy. So not quite four months. Nothing is open on Sundays, like maybe one coffee shop, but really in general, and you just don't see that in the United States, right? Like siesta alone. It I mean, certainly a... things closed. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
everything was just closed. Like grocery store, it didn't matter. And it was just, I mean, yes, to your point, culturally, to incorporate something like that here, right, it would be unheard of. But it was just a nice, it was like a forced break to slow down, to do something else, to... Yeah, it's so interesting to think about. It'll stuff never like that. happen here. It'll never. No, but individually, then, right? We yes, can make those yeah. choices for ourselves, for sure. Yes. So I'm always curious. I think it's probably my favorite question that I get to ask everybody is, "What is your advice?" I mean, really, even though this part is relatively new, you've been in the entrepreneurial space for a while, and you know. So, what words of wisdom, either to share back with yourself from the beginning, or with others who are thinking about embarking on a new journey? Tell people. Tell people, uh. like, tell people what you're working on. It doesn't have to be fully flushed out. You don't have to have the whole pitch deck ready. You don't have to know the valuation of whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, just share with people because you never know. The conversation could help you get to the level you didn't even know was possible. And I always, I'm, I'm a private person, but I like to share things that I love to learn from people. But I've noticed I've taken it to another level and being like, hey, I'm reaching out to you because this is how I think you can help me. But also being prepared for that, not just saying, hey, I need you to help me. Like, what do you need from me, right? Because like I, I was telling students all the time, like, don't send an email asking somebody for 50 minutes and then you ask them about their journey that you can Google, right? Like, be intentional with how you show up in somebody's inbox, buy you their time. So... I think we don't think that that applies also to this level. And so I did a job for somebody just as a favor, you know, and I've been thinking about the person and I finally was like, I'm, I know this person can help me in X, Y, Z. I'm going to reach out to that person and say, this is how I think you could help me. Would you be open to doing these things for me? And that one call has been so fruitful that I'm like, why haven't I been doing this this whole time? So then I started doing it more and more. And, and yes, you maybe you have more conversations. Maybe I have three, four more conversations that I wanted to have. Or maybe I'm doing something. But it's still better than me struggling, trying to figure out my own. Or Because there are not a lot of people that I know in my family. I mean, I'm the only American in my family, right? So it's not like I'm picking up the phone and saying, hey, Unc, how did you do this? Or if I'm talking to a cousin, I have to ask somebody. So... Good for you. I sort of feel like it's almost like, you know, when someone says in passing, how are you, right? They, most of the time, they're not really asking for an answer. And so when someone says, how can I help? Sometimes I think we sort of brush that off like, oh, no, I'm good. Thank you. I don't, I don't need anything. But good for you. You mentioned it earlier in our conversation, too, that, well, actually, here is what you can do. So yeah, good for I you for doing that. I think there's a distinction, though. Like, it can't just say, yeah, you can help me, and then ellipses, and then now you're waiting for the other person to come with an idea. I mean, that's always the... You can make it seem like it's their idea, but be prepared <laughs> so you know. And it is, again, it doesn't have to be the school in Africa. I, I mean, would I love somebody to give me $100 million? Yes. But the person I just met on Tuesday can't do that, but I know that person knows somebody that's hiring. That's what they can do for me. Your yeah. advice is amazing. It's, I mean, the work you're doing certainly is just incredible and much needed. So thank you for doing the work that you're doing. And thank you so much for being here. No, thank you for, again, like creating this space for entrepreneurs like myself to share what they're working on. And any way that I can be a friend to you, please let me know if you're listening to this and you're like, I need to meet that girl. 
golf course. Invite me. I'm there. <laughs> Anything. You can convince me to do a lot of things if you're going to pay for a nice round of golf. I'll keep that in mind. I was supposed to come to Savannah in June and had to postpone my trip. So at some point, I have to get myself down to explore Georgia a little bit. Although I think mini golf. Otherwise, you're going to have to teach me because I have never actually golfed. So that could be a whole different. I can whoop your butt on the mini golf course. It's fine. (laughs) All right. It's a date. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. I am absolutely in awe of the structure and the discipline that Corrine applies to her time and her work and definitely strive to take on some of those good habits. On to the takeaways from today's episode. Sometimes the appreciation for an experience only comes to us in hindsight. It's important to put yourself and your business in front of the right people. It's not necessarily about quantity and you can't be everything to everyone. Practice saying no or not right now and also consider boundaries with your own activities be it days for meetings, how often you check email, days you're on camera, etc. Be selective with how you give your time. You cannot pour from an empty cup. Make sure you're taking the time to do things that are fulfilling and recharging for yourself too. Challenge assumptions, yours and other people's. Does it have to be the way it has always been? Ask for help and be explicit about what you need. And share what you're doing with others, even if it isn't 100% fleshed out or formalized yet. Tell people what you're doing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of People, Place, and Purpose. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and leave a comment. As a new podcast, your support really means a lot. And if you know someone who might be inspired by this story, please share it with them. I would also love to engage with you directly. So please find us on Instagram at People, Place, Purpose. I'm so excited for us to continue to learn and grow and discover new things together. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, it's a beautiful day for an adventure. Get out there and explore.